Well, good morning, and let's uh, ask the Lord to give us some wisdom as we go into this great book. Bow your head, please. Thanks, Father, for allowing us to um, be here this morning and to um, put our thoughts upon you as we have worshipped you in song, but now we worship you, Father, in opening up this uh, very, very important and powerful book. And we are asking, Lord, that you would do a work within our, our hearts, within our, our minds, transform us by the renewing of our mind, and um, that we would leave here different than when we came. And um, so thanks, Lord, for what you're going to do. We'll trust you for that. In Christ's name, amen. We just had about 80, I don't know, what is close to 85, 89 people uh, return this week from Israel, one of our Israel trips, and another one of those uh, fantastic uh, times. Uh, four days in Jerusalem at the end, I believe, and uh, opportunities to uh, see some of the amazing, amazing sights in that uh, particular land. So I heard a little bit of uh, the stories of, of people um, walking the, the places where Jesus had walked, walk in the places where some like the Apostle Paul had walked. Uh, Paul um, went all over the Roman uh, Empire at that time, but there was one place the Apostle Paul uh, had not yet gone at one point in his life, and it was the city of Rome. Rome, I think today, is something like uh, three million people, almost three million people, and back in the days of Paul, it was well over a million people. Rome was the most magnificent city of the Roman Empire, with its coliseums, with its stadiums, with its um, um, hundreds of, 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 of elaborate temples. It not only was the seat of the political power of the greatest empire, it was also the center of, of world paganism. Rome was the most powerful place on earth. Now, we really don't know um, how Christianity uh, got started in this uh, amazing city of Rome. We, there are estimates that uh, at the time of that first century, there may have been as many as 50,000 Jewish people living in Rome, and certainly a number of those Jewish people had come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Lord. But throughout this vast city of Rome, we're not sure how many uh, were born again followers of Jesus Christ. What we do know is that in 4 AD 49, the Emperor Claudius uh, had had it up to here with the Jews, and in AD 49, he kicked them all out of Rome. Suetonius, who was a, a Roman historian, uh, explains um, at least as he understood it, that the Jews were kicked out by Claudius because of disturbances that were being caused by one who was named Christos. It is believed that it was talking about Jesus Christ. And the Jews were very upset that some of their number were turning to faith in Christos, and there were disturbances, and Claudius said, that's it, out, 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 out. And for five years, he kicked the Jews out of Rome. Uh, Paul writes about this in Acts chapter um, 18, verse 2. He talks about the, uh, the Jews being kicked out of Rome. Now, what remained were the Gentile 
the small pocket of believers of the Gentiles. And no doubt over those five years, that Gentile population of, of believing uh, followers of Jesus began to grow and grow. So that in, in 5354, um, AD 54, when the uh, Jews were allowed back into Rome, they found a completely different church, one that had been growing with Gentile believers. And now here come these Jewish believers back into Rome, and they begin assimilated into these, these, these little house churches. There could be some conflict going on as this merger of these, these ethnic groups came in. And some believe that's when Paul, while he was probably in Corinth, sat down and wrote a letter to a church that he had never started, that he had never even been to. He knew some of the people. They were friends of his. But he writes a letter to lay out, this is what you should believe. This is the essence of Christianity. Some of you are coming from Gentile backgrounds. Some of you come from Jewish backgrounds. Let me standardize. Let me codify. Let me lay out for you Christian doctrine. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. We are beginning the study of the book of Romans, this, this book that lays out these doctrines of the faith. And I want you this morning to join with me again in Romans chapter 1. We started last week, looked a little bit of the introduction and and not to oversimplify things, but I think you can summarize uh, the message of the book of Romans, the three little words, God's good news. And he starts out in verse 1 by telling us that Paul, as a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, is set apart for the gospel, the good, that's what the word gospel means, the good news of God. And this good news message is all centered around one person, Jesus Christ. The good news about Christ, what he's done, who he is, what he's given, what he's offered. This morning we're going to continue in this introduction because Paul now is going to reveal a little bit of his own heart to these people, many of whom he has never met. And so look with me again at verse 8 when he writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed Throughout the whole world, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the good news, the gospel of his Son, he is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. Paul had a passion. He loved these people some who were his friends, but many who he did not know. And he longed to see them. I thank my God for you all, he says. I pray for you unceasingly. Your faith, he had said, goes out throughout all the empire. I care for you. I long for you. I unceasingly pray for you. Paul had a passion for people. But not only did he have a passion Paul had a sense of purpose. I want to come to you. I've not been there yet. I'm trying to get there, he said. And I have a, a, a purpose for coming. Verse 11 again, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. Verse 12, that is, that I may 
be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's concern for the believers in Rome was that they would be solidly established in their faith. That's a key word. To be strengthened, to be spiritually mature. To not just be surfacy in their relationship, but to have depth in their relationship with God. He said, I, I want to come to Rome. I long to be there with you. I pray for you all the time, but I want to come there and I want to impart some spiritual gift. I don't think he's saying I want to uh, give you a, use one of my gifts or my spiritual gift to you. I, I think he's just talking generically. I, I want to impart a spiritual blessing. I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to come for some agenda of my own. I just want to be with you. I want to, I want to give you some, some gift of the Spirit of God. I want to just bless you. I want to encourage you. In fact, he says, I want to be in Rome so that we can mutually encourage one another. I need encouragement from you. You need encouragement from me. Let's mutually encourage one another so that we can be firmly established in our faith. This is the goal, by the way, of any local body of believers, of any church. I hope you're here this morning because you want to be established in your faith you want to be strengthened in your spiritual walk with God. That's what life is about. It's our connectivity to the divine. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, as we deepen our relationship, we build deeply into a walk with him. We are firmed up in our faith, and we live out compelling witnesses in this world. That's what Paul was cared about. And it might be appropriate I've got it in my slides here to stop for a moment and just say we have opportunities for you to do that right here at Fellowship Bible Church. You're doing it now, I hope. People down in the downstairs right now, John Morrison is leading a, a, a study in, at, uh, on, on sexuality and identity, or our focus. Learning center classes are going on. We have uh, women and men's Bible studies throughout the week. We have small groups, and I just want to encourage you right now to you see it in your program there's opportunities in the back this is so crucial mutual encouragement connecting to one another and small groups is a way of doing that so we just want to invite you to um, um, get involved in a small group if you're not involved in one find a group of people to get together and and, and i'm talking about kind of real serious not just only a bible study but an opportunity to kind of be honest with one another to be accountable to one another, to share real-life struggles with one another. That's what you know, the body of Christ is supposed to do. Paul says, I'm going to come to Rome, and I want to be mutually encouraged. I want to be challenged so that I can be established in my faith. So get involved in a small group. And show uh, others your, your giftedness in terms of serving. That's what Paul said I want to do. I'm going to impart some, some blessing to you. I want to have God flow from me to you. And so there's opportunities for service. So be aware of that and get plugged in. Don't just come to sit, soak, and then sour. Get involved in the life of your local church. That was what Paul cared about. I want to be established in my faith. I want to establish you in your faith. I want to be encouraged and mutually encouraged. But he said in verse 13, 
I also don't want you to be uninformed, brother, that often I've planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some, some fruit. The NIV says a harvest among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And Paul is saying, not only do I want to come and be with you as the body of believers, encourage each other and establish each other in our faith, I want to come and I want to evangelize. I want to go to this center of of, uh, world paganism and I want to see a harvest. That was the the evangelist in Paul. That was the missionary heart of Paul. And he said, I'm I'm under obligation to do that. Verse uh, 1, he talked about being, I'm I'm set apart. I'm a called apostle. Man, I can't do anything but that. I can't wait to come to Rome. And I want to encourage you. I want to evangelize. I want to establish you. Establish, encourage, evangelize. And by the way, that comes right straight out of the voice of God, of Jesus. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. That is, bring people to faith in Christ. And he says, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth, to the the end of the age. Go, evangelize, edify, equip, encourage, establish. And by the way, that is why this church, for over 40 years, God has raised it up. This is the 40th anniversary of Fellowship Bible Church this year. In 1980, some families got together, two of whom families are still here, right here. And they got together because there was a burning desire to prepare and deploy dependent disciples of Jesus Christ who will change their world for Christ. That's our mission statement. It's on the the program we put out each week. The purpose of Fellowship Bible Church is to prepare and then deploy dependent followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of, of Jesus, who don't just gather as holy huddles, but who will be change agents in the world, who will change their world for Christ as they're being changed by Christ. We need to be established in our faith, encouraging one another, serving one another, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a 2,000-year-old message. Church has been doing that since the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed. When I got out of seminary, um, just right after the earth's crust hardened, um, there was a, an opportunity for me to go probably many different places, but God yanked me out of Dallas, Texas, back to my home state in Nebraska to a little rural church, last place on earth I wanted to be. I grew up on a farm, rural kid. I didn't want to go to a little town of 500 people, a little rural church. And God said, right, that's where you're going. And I went up there to candidate. It was uh, 39 years ago, um, like right now, this weekend. And I went up to that little rural church, and uh, I did my shtick, you know, I preached, I did the thing. But it was on that Sunday afternoon when I was gathering with this group of farmers, these men who were called elders of the church, people who probably didn't have anything other than a high school education. And I, a 26-year-old kid, fresh out of, just about fresh out of seminary, um, thought I knew it all, 
coming out with a master's degree of theology. My major was Hebrew and Semitic languages. And boy, I thought I was loaded for bear and I, was, I could exegete the hairs off a fly. I was going to be God's gift to these people. They weren't so lucky to have me. And so I said, so, so why, why, why do you want me to come here? Because I sure didn't want to come. Why do you want me to come here? And I will never forget one of those old farmers looked at me and his jaw almost hit the floor and he said, it was almost like he was saying, what do they teach you at that school? What do you mean why, why do we want you to come? And then he quoted to me Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He said, you know, we know that we need to do the work of ministry, but we need to be equipped to do the work of ministry. What do you mean, why are you coming? We're asking you to come to help equip us so that we can do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unto the... Wait a minute, where's this guy from? And what he was saying is, we need to be established and we would like you to come and teach the word and help and be a part of our life and help establish us in our faith, equip us. But wonderful words to hear. Paul had a passion and he had a purpose. He wanted to come to Rome for that purpose. But not only did he have a passion for the people and a purpose, he had a plan. He says in verse 15, so, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am eager, and Paul says, here's my plan. This is why I want to come. I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, maybe we need a little reminder of what this good news message is. What is it you want to preach? Why are you eager to go to Rome, Paul? He said, because there's a message I want to communicate. It's called the gospel, the good news. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us what the gospel is. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, and by which you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. Here it is, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And you know the proof of that? He was buried. Here's the second part of the Gospel. And he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And the proof of that? He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. And he goes on to 500 people. I make known to you the Gospel. Here it is, Paul says. As clear as can be, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. The good news is about Jesus Christ who died and rose again. If you're on a Titanic-like ship and all of a sudden it hits an iceberg and you're about ready to go down, you got five minutes, and people are coming up to you because they, they, they know that you're a Christian, and that ship is going down, and they're coming and they're saying, tell us, tell us, how can we get to heaven? What must we do to get to heaven? What are you going to tell them? you got, you got four minutes now. What are you going to tell them? What must they believe? What's the good news that they have to hear? Paul just told us. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. Now the question here is, let me get this straight, Paul. You're going to go to Rome 
the center of the empire where the Caesars live, where the Roman Senate convenes, the center of world paganism, with all its sophistication, with all its education, you're eager to go and preach about, let me get this straight, a, a dead Jew who was crucified by Romans, <laughs> Roman soldiers. Paul, you're missing your opportunity to change the world. Isn't that a bit simplistic? Of all the things that you can do in Rome, of all the things you could have said that you're eager to do, Paul says, I'm eager to come and preach the gospel. Now, I can understand preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and the barbarians, and as he said here, to, to, to get some harvest of souls to the unsaved people. I can see that. But notice that Paul said in verse 15, so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Who's the you? Well, it's people identified like in verse 7, to the beloved of God in Rome who are called the saints. The church, the believing community. Paul says, I can't wait to come to Rome and preach the good news, the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection to you, the believing community why would Paul want to preach the simple message to the church? Well, look what he says in verse 16. And in this logical sequencing, as, as Paul lays out his thoughts, as he often does, I want to preach the gospel to you, verse 16, for, because, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? For, because, it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and then the Greek. Well, how does that work, Paul? Verse 17. For, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is written, the just shall live by his faith. This logically sequencing of ideas. And these two verses are really the theme verses for all the book of Romans. Paul is explaining why his plan of preaching the gospel is a really, really good one. He says, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to come to the powerful center of the Roman Empire, the home of the Caesar. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to come and speak of this carpenter's son, this one from insignificant Galilee who died on a cross at the hands of Roman executioners and who was raised again on the third day. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel. Why, Paul? Because it is powerful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of of God. And the word power is, is placed first in that phrase in the Greek language. Why aren't you ashamed to go to the to Romans and preach the gospel? Power, he said. It's the power of God. It unleashes the power of God unto salvation. And here's where I want to put our word unto rescuing. Kind of the, the theme of this whole study that we're going to do on Romans, rescued. Because that's what this word means, to be rescued, to be delivered. 
to be freed, saved, rescued. The message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a powerful message. And it's powerful to rescue. Now, here's where I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning because the question is rescued from what? Every person in this room, in this world, needs to be rescued. But from what? Now, throughout the book of Romans, Paul is going to um, inform us of this, what we need to be rescued from. So, for instance, in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 20 through 22, he wrote, For the creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, vanity. Right out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is futility. Why? Well, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The world is in pain. Or, he said in chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The world is caught in the clutches of, of sin, of futility, of death, because of sin. He said in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All creation has been plunged into futility and death. It's all around us, and it's because of sin. And how has this all come about? Because of him who subjected it to futility. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 1. I want to come in to Rome. I, I can't wait to come to Rome. I want to preach the gospel to you. Why, Paul? Because I'm not ashamed of it. Why, Paul? Because it's powerful. It's powerful to rescue us. How, Paul? And we'll talk about that next week. Because in it, the, the righteousness of God is revealed. Why, Paul? Look at verse 18. And bring your Bibles, bring your, your, see it on your devices. Don't trust me. Look where God has said it. Verse 18. For, why, Paul? Well, because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men that suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God has been revealed. Now, that's a present tense. I mentioned that last week. It's not like the wrath of God is coming one day, although in chapter 2 he will say that. A day of wrath is coming, but here he's present tense. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's being manifested each and every day, every tick of the clock, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We live in a world that has come under the wrath and the anger of God. We'll unpack this next week a little bit more. What does that look like? It looks like Verse 24, God giving men over to the sinfulness of their heart, letting sin run wild, malignancy of sin, overrunning a perfect, once perfect world. Therefore God, verse 24, gave them over to the lust of their heart, to the impurity 
He says, uh, verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to the degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, any longer God gave them over to the depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. God gives them over. The wrath of God is an abandon, it's a judicial abandonment. God abandons mankind and his once perfectly created world to the futility and the destruction, to the death of sin. And it's as if he pulls back and waits. Is that how you want to live? You want to live without me, your creator? You want to go out on your own? You want to live self-reliant? Have at it. And God gives mankind over. And so we live in a world that has come under that anger of God, and it's a world of death. And we look at the temporal manifestations of that every day. You look, listen to the news, you read the papers, we see it every, every day. Disease, natural disasters, war, international conflict. It's a world that's gone mad. Sin. Futility, broken relationships, divorce, murder, internal conflict, deception, not knowing what's happening in my spirit, depressions, sexual perversions, gender dysphoria. And if you want a definition of that, go to our webpage, to the glossary. There is a wealth of information that our family life team and our counseling team have put together for this whole focus. Familiarize yourself, study it, educate yourself. We're living in light of, a, of, a, of God's wrath being poured out on this world. He has given this world over. We live in a world of death. The slaughter of unborn children, infanticide, genocide, the neglect of, of elderly. And every one of us can be caught up in that whole scene because we live in a fallen world and we live in a fallen earth suit we experience the wrath of God Paul will come and get the Romans chapter 7 and he'll put it this way in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 the good I want to do I don't a oh, wretched man that I am but I do the very thing I hate who will set me free Paul says He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a great apostle Paul. He said, I'm experiencing, as it were, a death. Where's the life? A wretched man that I am. Caught up in a world of dysfunction, of brokenness. Because of the one who subjected it to futility. A holy God, almighty who said, that's how you want to live? Boom. And he has given this world over. Temporal consequences and eternal consequences. Separation from him for all of eternity. Not only is God's wrath presently being manifested, one time, there's a day coming, we'll see it in chapter 2, that a day of wrath is coming as well. Folks, what the message of of Romans is saying is we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. And there is good news from God. 
It's a good news about Jesus Christ who came and he died and he rose again. His death and his life. It's powerful to rescue us. And that's why Paul said, I can't, come, I can't wait to come to Rome, to you, the believers, and I want to share this. I want to impart this gift to you. I want to establish you in your faith. As we take these weeks in Romans, we'll see what that is all about. Who's it for? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who simply believes, who trusts in Christ. That's it. Who put their trust and reliance upon the truth of this gospel message, willing to put their trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. How does it work? Verse 17, for in it, in this message of the gospel, the righteousness of the rightness, the goodness, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from start to finish, to everyone who believes. What is that? What do you mean the righteousness of God? It seems like that's an important concept. If the gospel is powerful to rescue us, because in that message of the gospel, something of the rightness of God, the righteousness of God is revealed, and that is what is going to rescue me, what in the world is he talking about? Well, if you want to stick around for another hour, we can talk about that. But that's part of what we're going to be discussing here as Paul unpacks this message of the righteousness of God that has been revealed that will rescue us. Notice he ends that section and that theme verses, verse 17, with a quote of an Old Testament passage. He says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, and he tied by saying, as it is written, he's tying his thought directly back to an Old Testament passage of prophet Habakkuk. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right with him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's a perfect verse to quote in this context because Habakkuk, or some of you might want to pronounce him Habakkuk, Habakkuk perfectly understood what Paul would have been writing about here to the Romans. They need to be rescued. Real quickly, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I preached on this a number of years ago, but um, Habakkuk was a prophet of Judah. About 100 years after Isaiah lived. We studied Isaiah a year, year and a half ago. Around 605 B.C., to the, that southern Jewish people of the kingdom of, of, of Judah and Benjamin, those southern two tribes. The world was in turmoil once again. It wasn't the Assyrian power like Isaiah had, had, uh, had to deal with. It was now the Babylonians. And the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were in rebellion once again and living a life of corruption, of sin away from God. They were a mess. And Habakkuk comes to God in the early verses of Habakkuk chapter 1, complaining to God, God, why don't you do something? These people, are they, they, they're rebelling against you. They don't care about you. They're living in a self-proudful way. They, well, they want nothing to do with you, God. You've you got to do something. And God says, okay, hold, hold your shirt, Habakkuk. I am planning on doing something. In fact, here's my plan. I have raised up the powerful, wicked, impetuous 
Chaldeans, yes, the Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to pulverize you and your people. <laughs> and Habakkuk said, now wait a minute. That's kind of not what I had in mind. Can't you do some hand slapping or something like that? And God says, no. Here's my plan. I am angry with my people and their sin because the holy God responds with his wrath and anger against sin. That's part of his character. And I'm bringing the Chaldeans, and they're going to wipe you out. And now Habakkuk changes his tune. Oh, Lord, why, 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 why? You, you can't do that. God says, that's what I'm going to do. But now here's my message, God says to Habakkuk. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within himself. But the righteous, well, Habakkuk, here's my message to you. As, as I pour out my wrath on this people, on this world of sin, the righteous shall live by his faith. That was it. The proud, the arrogant ones who live their lives with self-reliance, with no thought of God, I'm going to deal with them. But in contrast to those self-reliant, those self-sufficient, proudful people, the righteous one is to live by his faith. Steadfast, humble, dependent trust. And Habakkuk's contemporary at that time, another prophet by the name of Jeremiah, put it this way. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who, whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. When the wrath of God is being poured out, when he gives it over, the sin of, that is all-encompassing and malignant, and he said, go for it. He abandons mankind to their sinfulness. Yet those who trust in the Lord will still be green and bear fruit. They'll live because the righteous live by their faith. The message of the gospel is powerful to rescue. It's powerful to give life. Life in this temporal realm where we're caught up in a futile world because of him who subjected it, who's given this world over, a world that is running headlong into sinfulness, a world where our bodies are decaying, a world where you would think things would go right for righteous people and they go badly. A bankruptcy occurs, a death occurs, But there's life, not just now temporally, there's life eternally. You see, in the midst of God's wrath being revealed, Paul said in verse 16, or verse 17, 
the righteousness of God is revealed as well. In the midst of a world that is being shown the wrath of God, his righteousness is being revealed. And how desperately we need God's righteousness. And you've got to come back next week to find out what that's all about. Are you here today discouraged with life? It's hard not to be. It's hard not to feel that way in a world that is lost in futility. A world that is so mixed up and lost in sin. We encased in a body of sin. Struggling at times. Thinking, Lord, where do we turn? Gripped in fear. Struggling with the loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of health, the uncertainty of a world gone mad. In the midst of a futile world, there's good news. And it's all about Jesus, the Son, who came to give his life and to give it abundantly. It's all about the gospel. Christ died and all the ramifications of that, and he rose again. This is what Paul said in chapter 5, and let me read it as we close. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so much more then, much more then, we'll get to that when we get to chapter 5, but much more then, having been justified, declared right by his blood, he died much more than, we shall be saved, rescued from the wrath of God through Jesus. For if while you were enemies, you were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved, rescued by his life. Folks, the gospel is how we live in a darkened, futile world. And that's the message of Romans. It's a power that can be realized, this powerful message, realized right now, right here, right in this messed up, futile world of sin. Is there any wonder? Paul said, I can't wait to come to Rome and to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo! This is going to be a fun ride. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've communicated in this book. As the, as the one author said, it's the cathedral of the epistles. And thank you, Father, that you have preserved it to this our day that we can open it, study it, take it to heart, put it into practice. We can hear from you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who has spoken truth so that we, your people, can live in the midst of this darkened, futile world and really live because the righteous live by faith. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.